to the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing that, first of all, that the scoffers will come in the last days from scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are sorted, sorted up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Thank you. Uh, good morning again, everyone. Uh, every time I preach and lead worship, that's what I feel like when I preach and lead worship. I'm glad I have Julie now to kind of take some of that pressure that I put on myself off. Um, but good morning, most of you. Nick, I know all of you guys. Um, I'm going to start off with the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all night nations. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always. And for the last eight years, this, these three little words, no, bro, go, has been our mission statement. No, Jesus, grow in Jesus and go share the hope found in Jesus. So if there's something that you take away, I, let it be that today. Know Jesus, grow in Jesus, and go share the hope found in Jesus. Um, before I get started, I am so scatterbrained right now, and I just feel all over the place. So let's pray, and uh, then we'll get into the sermon. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for being the good Father that you are, God. And I just pray, God, that you would calm my anxieties, ease my stresses, Lord, and just fill me with your Holy Spirit right now, because I need you, God. I need you, God, and I need you more than I can even imagine, God. And I just thank you that I have the opportunity to be up here and preach your word and share your word. And I pray that the hearts would be open to hear what you have to say to God, and that you would put me aside and that you would speak, God. I say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, happy Father's Day. Chris, where'd you go? You took uh, five minutes of a message about Father's Day. <laughs> but happy Father's Day. I'm not going to add anything to what Chris said. Um, but also, uh, my mom brought to my attention a few Sundays ago uh, that it's been five years since I've been ordained as a pastor here. And that was two Sundays ago. It popped up in her memories. And I just wanted to tell you guys, thank you. Thank you that, that you allow me to be your pastor. That you allow uh, my wife and I to pour into your lives, to be a part of your lives. That you allow us and uh, our kids to be a part of this family. And I'm so thankful to be here and doing this. I, I never would have thought 
you know, making flat like five years ago, even six years ago, that I would be where I'm at as a pastor here. And just so thankful for that. And in those five years, it has been a roller coaster ride. It has been a lot of ups and a lot of downs. And I'm just thankful for it all and to have you guys to be on this ride with. And then I can call you guys my beloved, my family. I love you guys. So thank you. Um, so, so before we get into Second uh, Peter, I just want to remind my beloved church family, uh, remind you guys of who Peter is. Let's hear some first initial thoughts. Who is Peter? Go ahead. Let's, let's have some crowd involved. Who's Peter? Loose cannon. Loose cannon. A disciple. You talking about me? Anybody else? A disciple. A disciple again. How about over this side here? You guys all were like staring blankly over there. Anybody? Peter was one of the closest to Jesus. One of the closest to Jesus. I have a funny story um, about Peter and about my son Rome. When he was about three years old, sorry, Rome. Uh, when he was about three years old, uh, Rome and I were sitting at the breakfast table, and we're having breakfast, and he's like, I can see he's like deep in thought about something. And granted, this is about the time that Rome's figuring out, like, boyhood. And so, <laughs> yes, I'm laying down. And he's deep in thought, and I'm like, what's up, dude? What are you thinking about? And he just looks at me and says, did Jesus have a Peter? And I was like, why, yes, he did. <laughs> so, it just, you know, that reminded me of this. But who is Peter? The first time we meet Peter, he's on a fishing boat. His brother comes to him and tells him, we have found the Christ, the Messiah. And, and the first time that Jesus meets him and sets eyes on him, Peter, he says, I'll call you Peter. He immediately gives him a new name, a new identity. He goes from Simon to Peter. As we read through the Gospels and get to know, even in the Acts, get to know who Peter is, he's impulsive. He often speaks out of turn. He's outspoken. He's very enthusiastic about his faith in Jesus. And he's strong-willed. Like, he's so strong-willed, so enthusiastic and impulsive that at one point he even tries to rebuke Jesus. And as Jen said, he's one of three of the closest uh, to Jesus. One of three men closest. There's Peter, James, and John. And we can kind of look at, historically, they gathered that Peter was probably the older of those three, and, and like almost like a father figure to them. Um, and you can kind of see how maybe that is true through the Gospels when they're racing to see that the tomb is empty. And uh, John calls himself the one whom Jesus loves all the time, and they're racing, and Peter's behind him. He was a little bit slower, maybe he was a little bit older, but he was one of the first, uh, or one of three that were very close. Um, you can look at Peter's life and see maybe he was like the leader among the twelve, the first among equals. He was the voice of the apostles. He was the first one to confess that Jesus is Lord. When, they, when he comes to see. And we see all these, get all these characteristics of Peter and see what kind of man he was. We look at Matthew 14, 28, 29, and when he walks on the water, he has a faith and he's just 
believes in Jesus, and he steps out of that boat, and you know, I imagine there being like a little threshold area, and he steps over top, and he's just got his eyes fixed on Jesus, and he walks on the water out of that boat. We see that he, I already mentioned this, but in John 18, 10, is where he pulls Jesus aside to rebuke Jesus. Or no, Matthew 16, 22, I got my reference to screw up. In John 18, 10, it's where when they come to arrest Jesus, he pulls the sword out and cuts off the Roman soldier, or the, the soldier's ear. Uh, Matthew 26, he said that he would never save Jesus, that he wouldn't deny him, that he would see him to the death and follow him to the death, only to deny him three times. And Jesus restores him, and he calls him the rock. He was the first rock, not that we blame the rock Johnson. Peter was, Peter the rock, awesome this time. <laughs> so he was Peter the rock. Um, and we can learn some stuff from Peter's life. But first, I forgot to mention this. Kids, uh, where's Karma and Reagan? You guys pay attention. This is going to be really bad. Parents, I'm sorry, but I, really, I got a soda up here, and I'm going to bribe your kids to pay attention to today's sermon. So I want you guys, Reagan, you see this? Yeah. You have to ask your mom, though, if you can have it. But I'm bribing you guys to pay attention. Today we're going to talk about how God views time. And I'm going to say one word, and I want you guys to find a piece of paper, you know, when we get towards the end, and I want you to write this one word down. If I see you asking your parents what this one word was, you don't get into the drive for soda. Yes, you two are paying attention quiet. But soon enough, I'm going to say that word. So yes, pay attention to today's sermon when I talk about how God views time Paying attention? How God views time, that, that's that's that going to be one word that I say. So pay attention. So back to the sermon. What can we learn from Peter's life? I almost cracked the soda open just now. I'm drinking from you guys. So we learn from Peter what can we learn about Jesus. That Jesus overcomes our fears from Peter stepping out of that boat, placing his faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus helps us overcome those fears. Even though, even when uh, Peter stepped the threshold of going into Cornelius' home, the soldier, breaking all, like, I can't think of the word right now, but breaking all, like, stereotypes, that he shouldn't be doing that, trusting in Jesus that he'll be safe going into that man's home. Jesus helped, you know, we remember Peter, that Jesus overcomes fears. From Peter's life, we that Jesus forgives. You know, he was, Peter denied him. Peter denied him, the rooster crowed, and then when Jesus was raised from the dead, he comes back and he forgives Peter and he restores Peter and says, You are the rock. Give him the, the, what is it, the eyebrows? <laughs> so he must have got it. And he restores him, he forgives him. We learn from Peter's life that Jesus uses unlikely everyday people. When I, you know, when I look at who Peter was, I, I identify with him a lot. Um, I, I would not knock on coal miners, but I would say he was like the coal miner. He was a brute, like a blue-collar preacher. He worked as a fisherman. He was probably dirty, stinky, probably had a foul mouth, but God used him to spread his church. 
And then, like I said, I really identify with him because God is unlikely everyday people. We learn from Peter's life that Jesus gives us a new identity. Right off the get-go, Jesus gives Peter a new name and calls him uh, Peter. He was Simon. And he comes and he says, you shall be Kephas, which means the rock, which is Peter. He gives him a new name and a new identity. And when we place our faith in Jesus, he gives us a new identity that's found in him. And I put, the, I put these kind of in a particular order, but not like any is more important than the other. But I think this will last because it's a sweet segue into my sermon today. So Jesus patiently teaches. Jesus is a patient teacher. Over and over and time and time again, Jesus is having to remind Peter of things. And just gently rebuke him. And sometimes not gently, uh, but calls him Satan. But rebukes him time and time again and talks to him over and over again and teaches him all these truths. So we learn that Jesus is a patient teacher. And a little bit more background on, on, on 1 Peter. Remember, this is just a reminder of who Peter is and why he wrote these letters. And what other thing I love about this is I was meditating this week and studying on Peter that uh, like Peter wrote these letters to the church. He was a leader, and they were written to the church, and they were to be out read, read out loud to different churches. And if we look at 1 Peter, he names all those churches. But there would be a group of about 20 people in a house church, and what would happen is Peter wrote the letter. Uh, actually, somebody else wrote it for him. But then it was to be delivered, and he would take that letter, and he would go... And, you know, say so he goes, and, and Tony's the leader of this house church. He gives it to Tony. And that guy gives it to Tony the letter. And Tony looks at it and says, oh, Peter wrote a letter. And then Tony hands it back. And Tony says, read it. Read it. Yep. So that's how it went down. That was the custom. And then that guy would take the letter, go to the next house church, and you take the guess, and hand it to guess. Oh, it's from Peter. Oh, read it. Oh, okay. And then you read the letter aloud. So can you imagine... You guys ever played the game like telephone? Mm-hmm. No. And, like I imagine, like there's so much that's that, that of the context that we get, we, we almost miss out on because there's there's things that they probably talked about, conversations they had, and why Peter wrote these. Like if I wrote a letter to my wife and Chris delivered it, and then he read it out loud, she could be like, oh, well, where's Nick at? What's Nick doing? Like there would be some other things, like context in that, and so. They were very personable, and, you know, like I said, I, I feel like we miss out on some of that. But still, it was a, 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 the letters were written as a leader and to the church, and they're still very relevant to uh, us today. Peter was called to carry the good news beyond the Jewish uh, people. Like I said, this was a circular letter meant to be passed around to several different home churches and churches. First Peter starts off with a greeting, talking about the chosen people. Uh, that, that Yeah, they're not Jewish, but they belong to the family of God. They belong to God's family. He reminds you that they're born again to a living hope. And in Pastor Tony's words, this, this just stuck out to me from the first sermon he preached on this. In all the chaos, praise God, we have a living hope. He lets them know they have a new family identity. You leave behind a former life. You're an exiled people. You are a new covenant people. We are a new covenant people. The 
There's going to be suffering as witnesses of Christ. He talks about submission to government, slaves and wives. And that we are liberated and we are able to show Christ's love through our actions. By the way we act to our bosses, to our government, to our spouses, that we're able to be witnesses of that liberation that Christ gave us. That there's suffering and there's a future hope and that we end with it like this. That, you know, that there's suffering and future hope and we're And it says, this letter, a reminder of hope in the midst of suffering. That God's people are a misunderstood minority living under a different kind of king. And that in this letter, that persecution can kind of be this strange gift to us because it presents the opportunity to witness Christ to others. It gives us the opportunity to show the generosity of Jesus and what he's done for us. In that, 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 that suffering is a strange gift so that we can show people who Jesus is. And then we get into 2 Peter. This is his farewell letter. He's gone on his farewell tour. And he's coming to the end of his life. He says that in the very beginning. Uh, this is my second letter. Oh, he doesn't say it in there. This is his second letter coming to the end of his life. Um, he died somewhere around three years after this letter was written. This letter is an invitation from God to never stop growing. And we're invited in to share in God's life. That's such good news. We're invited in to share God's own life. Like, that's love. That God loved us so much that he is inviting us in to share his very own life. And he gives his list of, of seven uh, virtues for this very reason. Make every effort to supplement your faith and virtue. Virtue with knowledge and knowledge of self-control. Self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. That we're to share that love that we have with others. And then, as he goes on in this letter, he starts getting in, talking about um, the obje objections we may face in, in the church. People are going to say it's made up. People are going to say that you, like, none of this really happened. It's all been made up. I mean, you've heard that argument that this book was just written by some men, it was made up. How do we know that it's true? And we can go back and look at the canon and how we got the Bible, but God said it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. People said that it's made up. And what Peter does in answer is he gives an eyewitness testimony. He talks about the transfiguration, being there with Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. Uh, Elijah and Moses and Jesus appeared. He gives his eyewitness account. And he shows that we can combat like that and made it all up with some eyewitness account of what Jesus has done for us. 
And he goes on and he talks about there's going to be more objections. They're going to say there's no final re reckoning. We're going to have corrupt teachers making money and sleeping around in the church and doing things for their own selfish gain. talks about the rebellious angels. Chris Polito covered that. He talks about the, the ancient flood. talks about some Sodom and Gomorrah. But they, all, all these rebellions leads to God's divine judgment. And he again reiterates on the false teachers after money and inappropriate things. I won't say because the kids are in here. And the, he compares it to being a, a dog and returning to his mom being a going back to the mud, but they're not really free. And that leads us up to where we are today. 2 Peter 3, 1 through 9. I'm going to start off and read verse 1 over again. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. Of both of them, I am serving up your sincere mind by way of reminder. And one of the reasons like, I wanted to, to, to share five years pastor and just how much I love you guys like I looked and saw how Peter was was expressing that love in this letter and he calls him my beloved he genuinely loved and cared for them and he knew what kind of people they were he refers to their sincere minds he knew how they thought he knew what they were thinking and he, he genuinely knew them he called them his beloved and he knew their sincere minds Verse 2, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior and your apostles. He's letting them know this letter is written and it's nothing new that I've taught you already. He spent time with them. They know these things and he's reminding them that this is nothing new. And I, I Today, I, want, I called you guys my beloved, and then I wanted to remind you of who Peter was, trying to get that point across that these are all truths that this church, these churches already knew. I, I don't know about you guys, but I have a terrible memory, and on my gravestone, when I die someday, uh, it's going to say, oh shit, I forgot on it. <laughs> and it's probably going to be because it was something that I forgot to do, and that's what's going to lead to my imminent death. Like, be an old man, maybe, in my, my deathbed, and get up to go to the bathroom and come back and get to put my oxygen back on. Like, ah, he forgot his oxygen. Like, so that's, that's what I picture going down. Um, Peter had a terrible memory. Uh, it, I'm going to read out of Luke 22, 61 for you. If you want to turn your Bible out there, or your Bible. 
he's reminding them here that these are things you know already. What is it? What is it that he wants us to remember? Pick up in verse three, knowing this first of all that you are apostles. Oh, knowing this first of all that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. Simple and short answer. That uh, people are going to come scoffing at the message of Jesus. People are going to make fun of it. And what we learned from the previous chapters is that it, it will happen inside these four walls, within this church. That there could be false teachers that come in this place and bring a false message, and then they'll mock and scoff and laugh at it. He's warning us that that really could happen. Verse 4. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. What's funny here is, he is, like, this was written not even 70 years after Jesus' death. And there's people already scoffing. There's people already scoffing that, uh, when, when's Jesus coming back? You've been saying this, when's Jesus coming back? He's not coming back. And if you look in the book of Acts, the apostles, when they go out to, to spread the church and share the gospel, they live, though, as Jesus is coming soon. They live in a way that Jesus is coming soon. And when we read, he refers to the last days, like we're in the last days, and Jesus is coming soon. And, and I haven't personally experienced it yet. Um, but like I said, there will be people that scoff that Jesus isn't coming back. And he referred, when we pick up in verse. Five, six, and seven. He goes back to the flood. This is the third time that he's talked about the flood. I think he liked the book uh, or the, the story of Noah and Noah's Ark because he goes back to it uh, so many times. But picking up in verse, well, did I read four already? Was that four we talked about? It was five. For they deliberately overlooked the fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water. And through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was polluted with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth which now exist are stored up with fire, being kept until the day of judgment for destruction of the ungodly. So he goes back to the, the, the story of the flood. And he talks about like, what God did in that. He talks about the world has existed for a long time. And even when, when Noah was building the ark, people scoffed at him for 120 years. People made fun of Noah for 120 years. He's like, Noah did it for 120 years. We haven't even made it that long. And now that we're here, we're like, it's 2,000 years later. But they still live as though Jesus is coming soon. Soon. Jesus is coming soon. You know, Peter's alluding to the flood. Again, they, they live as though Jesus is coming soon. 
So verse 8, kids, pay attention. Verse 8, we're going to be talking about time. Pretty soon, we're going to talk about time. Verse 8 says this. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God is outside of time. We're going to open up to Psalm 90, 90 verse 4. Salvation. 
He still has saving to do, and he's reminding you of these things through this letter. The objection to, to every question that people might have is that Jesus loves you, and that Jesus wants you to repent, and that Jesus wants you to place your faith in God. That he didn't die upon that cross for nothing. He died because he loves you, and he is patient. How long, O Lord, that lament, that cry out, how long, O Lord, do you wait? How long, O Lord? This is good news. This is our salvation, that God is patient, and that he has saving to do. Amen? Let this be a reminder that God still has saving to do. You can't. God loves you. God loves all. He said that Jesus died once for all. Now, whether you want to accept that and press into that love is one thing, or you actually have the the the. the, the, the opportunity to deny it if you want to. God gives us that. But he's inviting you in. He doesn't want you to deny his love. It doesn't change the fact that he still loves you. It does not change the fact that he still loves you. So let our cry, let our, our prayer be, how long, O Lord? And let us live as that he is coming soon going out and sharing the gospel message. And the gospel message is this, that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, he was persecuted, he was spat on, he was beaten, and he was hung on a cross. He was hung on a cross. But it didn't end there. Huh? It didn't end there. Jesus rose from the grave, conquering sin, Satan, and death. You guys know this. This is just a reminder. <laughs> this is just a reminder. Press into the truth of who God is and what he's done on the cross because he still has saving to do because he's a patient God. Praise God. Amen. Say it louder. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus, that you are a good and patient God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for being patient with us. That first song comes to mind. I want to need to praise God. I need it every day. Every day, God, we need your grace to live as if you're coming back soon. To go out and share the hope that is found in you. That people would know that they can have a new identity in you. That you are a good father, that you love them, that they can't escape that love. They can choose to deny it, but it doesn't change the fact that you love them, God. I pray, God, that we would live as a people that, that, that know that Jesus is coming back soon. That we would have that same kind of zeal to live as though Jesus is coming soon. 
thank you for being so patient. We thank you, God, for your just undying love. And we just praise your name and say the same to Jesus.